Hey, good morning. It's Sunday, August 16th, and today we are wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount. The teaching text for today comes from Matthew 7, verses 24 through 29. These are the words of Jesus. He said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus, would you illuminate for us your words as we reflect today? Make them burn in our hearts. May the fruit of this time of reflection and introspection be a further obedience and an invitation to follow your call to discipleship. Amen. Emily and I are in the process of redoing one of our bathrooms right now. And when I say we are redoing one of our bathrooms, what I do not mean is that Emily and I did all of the demo and Emily and I are tiling and figuring out how to do all the stuff. Uh, we are not especially handy people. I really wish that we were, but we're not. Uh, I've never taken on a project like that on my own. I've never even really been a helper on a big project like that. But luckily for us, there are people who possess this skill set and who are willing to come into your house and do it for you if you will give them money. And we discovered this marvel in the world, and so we are paying these people to come and do this uh, for us. It's great. And it's really quite inspiring to see this crew in action. Uh, the way this company started, there was a guy who possessed this skill set where he was really good at fixing stuff and renovating. And he took on an apprentice. And with this apprentice, he was teaching everything he knew. And so with a lot of time together with, with modeling, with instruction, with kind of like, okay, now you try it and I'm going to give you feedback, this apprentice really developed in skills. And so we really have kind of two master workers, people who are really good at their craft. What's cool to see now is that the person who was the original apprentice has now taken on an apprentice of his own. And in my bathroom, he's teaching them, here's how you do the craft. He's passing on knowledge and instruction and modeling and in this safe environment, uh, giving him uh, the same skill set that he acquired through a relationship with the original master teacher. And this kind of master-apprentice relationship is, is powerful. It's, it's inspiring to think about when you think about it through the lens of power, how in breadth of knowledge and skill set and instincts, one person takes the power that they have and give it to someone else, but not in a zero-sum kind of way. It doesn't threaten their own power. It actually just increases the power of the other person. And as a result of this master-apprentice relationship, this, this apprentice gains skills and knowledge and instincts that they can put to use in the world to bring order and beauty and even uh, to, to make an income uh, for themselves. There's a transformation that happens for the student or the apprentice by means of relationship with the master. I experienced this when I was a kid, and many of you have taken uh, vocal lessons or, or uh, instrument lessons of some kind. I took piano lessons from Sandy Pierce. And uh, once a week for four or five years, I went over to Mrs. Pierce's house, and she taught me scales and arpeggios and chords, and we worked our way through uh, songs. 
Uh, Mrs. Pierce used her power to increase my power and skill. And to this day, though I haven't taken piano lessons since elementary school, I can still play all of my major scales on my right hand and my left hand. And I was able to acquire that lifelong skill uh, through practice. Mrs. Pierce taught me, she gave me like, here are the things you can do. But I was, went home and practiced these things. Sometimes there were tears shed over practice with my mom sitting at her, with her at the piano, learning how to develop these skills. Practice requires remembering and rehearsing. I'm remembering the, the things that my teacher did. I'm remembering how her hands were, were poised on the piano. I'm remembering uh, the, the little notes that she took in the sheet music. I'm remembering the names of the note, the, the treble clef and the bass clef. And then I'm also rehearsing how she did it. I'm imitating. I'm remembering and I'm imitating. I'm uh, remembering and rehearsing. And with practice, it really is amazing, especially uh, in relationship with the good teacher. It's remarkable what you can learn to do through incremental growth over time. But wouldn't it be a shame to invest all of that money in a relationship with a teacher to go to all of those lessons and yet never go home and practice it and develop the skills for myself? Wouldn't that be such a shame? Or imagine if there were a person who had apprenticed to a plumber and they watched the plumber in action, but they never themselves got under the sink and tried to fix a problem for themselves. Or imagine someone who spent time with an electrician watching how they do what they do and, and carrying the tools with you, but you never actually rewired an outlet yourself. Or imagine the shame of being a student of a master woodworker and yet on your own, never putting your hand to lumber and making something beautiful and useful. When we think in terms of vocations like this, we see the colossal waste of time and energy for a master to have logged so many hours with an apprentice, to offer them so much by way of instruction, to have modeled behaviors and postures and demonstrated skills only for them to have been discarded by, by lack of use by the student. And yet, when it comes to the master-apprentice relationship between Jesus and the church or Jesus and the Christian, we are much more strained to see that there's any problem at all in the gap between our years of apprenticeship and our lack of knowledge and ability and instinct to do the Jesus things, the Sermon on the Mount things, the on-the-job things one is hoped to have learned or skills to acquire or instincts to have developed over years of journeying with Jesus. And I just have to imagine, oh, the grief of the heart of God to observe the lifelong Christian who is loveless and joyless, and who is merciless toward the rundown and vengeful toward their enemies and flippant with their commitments and trigger happy with their words of judgment, whose public life invites applause for its religious rigor, but whose private life betrays a heart of stone. Dallas Willard said, It is now generally acknowledged that one can be a professing Christian and a church member in good standing without actually being a disciple. There is, as it seems, no real connection between being a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus. It was this strain of thought that inspired Rob Bell's provocative book title, Jesus Wants to Save Christians. 
In this concluding passage of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. After eight months of journeying through these three chapters, I want you to call to mind the ground that we covered and everything that Jesus meant when he said these words of mine. From the famous Beatitudes to the, you heard that it was said, but I say to you, teachings, to the admonitions to cultivate a rich secret life, to the challenge to put our relationship with wealth in its proper place, to the invitation to pledge soul allegiance to the kingdom of God, to Jesus' warnings against judgment and his relational wisdom about the power of the request. And then finally, his counsel against being deceived by others or by one's self. Jesus underscores that there's inherent blessing in putting this teaching, the Sermon of the Mount way of life, into practice. Remembering, rehearsing, remembering, and rehearsing. Immersing yourself in his words and knowing and truly knowing them. And then intending with practice and the help of the Holy Spirit to do them, to obey them. Jesus intimates to us that there's an, a stability, there's a, an enduring potential and a resilience from the man or the woman who habituates the teachings of Jesus into the rhythms and the routines of their life. Though storms and streams and winds blow against the house, they will yet stand. He says there's a, a fruitfulness that comes from remaining from remembering and rehearsing, remembering and rehearsing all that Jesus has said to us. I'm concerned for large swaths of Christians and large swaths of American churches whose houses are built on sand, who have not only failed to rehearse and put into practice the words of Jesus, but who hardly remember them at all. And as the storms of life have arisen, we've seen our houses crumble. Many of us are religious, certainly, but not alive with the power of the resurrected Christ. We become disconnected from the vine and prove the words of Jesus to be true, that apart from him, we can do nothing. We have, as Paul said, a form of godliness, but we deny its power. In grieving our losses and bemoaning the decline of the American church, many of, of our leaders turn to marketing experts and church growth consultants and try to make church more exciting. Or as individual Christians, we direct our energies toward legislation or toward culture wars when all the while Jesus announces open enrollment for anyone who would choose to be his apprentices who would learn from him how to be well, how to flourish, how to build a life, a house that can withstand the tempests and the trials and the tumults of life in this age. Early on in the life of our church, I said that Cornerstone is ultimately not up to anything new. We're actually up to something really old. We know that everyone is building their life around something, but what we want to do as a people, as individuals, and as a community together is to build our life around the person of Jesus Christ. And now, nearly three years into the life of our church, I could ask a check-in question. Is this presently the cry of our heart? Is this a pulsating truth, a pulsating reality that can be felt from top to bottom? Is this at present a driving force within the life of our church? 
And if we answer in all candor, maybe you would answer and I could answer the same. No, I'm not sure that it is. Not yet. But our prayer as we end this season of having looked at the Sermon on the Mount for eight months, but as we continue our our mission, our prayer is, Lord, would you make it so? For the sake of our city whose wounds run deep and whose divisions grow plainer day by day, Lord, make it so. For the sake of the world that needs Christ's church to be awake and alive and quickened to the heart of the kingdom of God, Lord, make it so. For the sake of the glory of God, whose name is not honored in our streets or in our homes or in the cities of of our nation, make it so, Lord. May there be a fresh stirring of the Spirit of God beckoning Christians to become disciples, to be clothed in power from on high as the one who bears all authority in heaven and earth with great patience teaches us again how to love as he loves, how to do what he does, how to, where to go where he goes, and invites us to remember and rehearse, remember and rehearse, remember and rehearse all that he has taught us. To be, as we say in our mission, a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things necessitates that there are men and women who make it their heart's intention to be an apprentice of Jesus who puts his words into practice. Wise men and women who aspire to build our house on the rock. How does one do this? Dallas Willard said the first thing that one should do if they wanted to be an apprentice of Jesus is to ask. He said to emphatically and repeatedly express to Jesus our desire to see him more fully as he really is. And to make an ask like this is not a flippant thing. It's not something one does casually. Willard said we should make our expression of desire a solemn occasion giving serious time and attention to this ask and regard it as like the crossing of a threshold, a watershed moment in our lives. There came the day when I asked Jesus to see him more fully as he is and to enroll in his course of apprenticeship. Having asked, the next thing we do is to use every means at our disposal to come to see him more fully. And this is a a practice from which we will never graduate is to immerse ourselves, said Willard, in the written gospels and to rid from our lives the fruitless and degrading stuff that too often clamors for our attention. Willard said, if over several days or weeks we were to read the gospels through as many times as we can, consistent with sensible rest and relaxation, That alone would enable us to see Jesus with a clarity that can make the transition into discipleship possible. And finally, we become a life student or an apprentice of Jesus by deciding to be one. One does not drift into discipleship. Similarly, one does not drift their way into being a doctor. Applying for, being accepted to, and starting medical school is no small step. And neither is declaring one's intention to be an apprentice of Jesus. So having counted the cost and made the ask and clarified your vision of of what it is you're doing through immersion in the Gospels, you resolve yourself with the help of the Holy Spirit to apprentice yourself to Jesus. 
It's something that you decide to do with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I think that the reality, as Jesus knew then and knows now, is that this intention and resolution is a narrow path that few will choose to follow. But may it please the heart of God to enable by the Spirit men and women in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and men and women in this local church called Cornerstone to do just that. That it may be in our hearts and it may be in our city as it is in heaven. We're transitioning from the Sermon on the Mount, but we will never transition away from the teachings of Jesus. We're transitioning from this explicit beckoning to a peculiar way of living, but we will never transition away from the aspiration to live in this peculiar way ourselves. This is the direction our church is going, slowly in one direction toward apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. I wonder, I know listening, there are a variety of people. Maybe you are a person who your life was built on sand and maybe you went through a divorce or maybe you had a, you were terminated from your job or maybe there was a, a death in your family and you feel like your walls came crumbling down. Maybe you had a moral failure and your own depravity was on display for all to see. I don't know if you're listening and maybe you're a Christian who's never resolved in your heart of hearts, to be an apprentice of Jesus. Maybe you're a person who's like a good Christian, a good a church member in good standing, but you just feel this beckoning to something deeper. For all of us, Jesus is still here offering open enrollment to any who would be his apprentices. Jesus wants to give the gift. He wants to give the power of learning how to build a house on the rock, but it requires putting into practice what he's teaching you. Friend, today, Jesus would invite you to be his student with patience and I think with humor and with joy and love and an absence of judgment. Jesus would draw you along to his side and say, let me show you how to live your life, to live your life with me, putting into practice my wisdom, my perspective. It, is, it would delight the heart of God for any in ways great or small to say, Lord, my, my desire is to live in this way. May he give you the grace to ask, to immerse yourselves in his way, to intend to be a person who learns and remembers and rehearses all that he has to say. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray for myself and I pray for all who hear me that you give us the grace to say yes to what you're doing. I renounce the force and the work of the enemy to like a bird come and snatch the seed that you've planted in people's hearts. I pray that you'd guard that fledgling desire, that, that whisper of a voice that people are hearing inviting them into something deeper. Lord Jesus, by the Spirit, would you convict us of sin and so remove rocks and thorns from the garden of our hearts? Would you till the soil of our hearts so that it could be receptive to your word and we might be people who put down deep roots in you, who bear fruit in time as you, as you grow your word in us? Help us to be people who apprentice ourselves to you, who develop an instinct 
to put into practice the words that you've said, remembering and rehearsing, remembering and rehearsing all that you've taught us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that in this work, you are with us just as you've promised. All this we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, God bless you. God loves you. Uh, If you are in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to worship with our church uh, Sundays at 915 out on the lawn during this season of the coronavirus. For for those of you who are watching online and and, uh, you're immunocompromised or you don't feel safe coming out, just want to know we love you. God bless you. If we can pray for you in any way, please uh, let us know, but we'll see you around.